All right. Would you guys pray with me as we jump into the message this morning? God, it's such an honor to follow you. I was just thinking this week of what would I, what would I have done in these situations if I didn't have God? I, I have you. I have you. I know you. I follow you. I cling to your voice. I cling to your word. And it's the greatest privilege to know you. And, and today, God, as we, as we explore this topic of intimacy and friendship with you, I don't want to just give some, some good words and a motivational teaching. We, we want you to lead us into intimacy. You lead us into intimacy. And we know that you are drawing your people. And so even right now, would, we, would you, Holy Spirit, open up our hearts, our eyes, our ears, our, our beings to be led by you? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Well, um, if you've been with us for a little while, we went through Romans chapter 8. It was uh, theologically meaty, and I felt a prompting of the Lord to lead us into a place of, of rich intimacy and, and relationship with Jesus, taking those truths of the life in the Spirit and then finding a, a kind of pastoral application of what that looks like in our lives. And so last week, we cracked open what it looks like to be in friendship with Jesus and how um, much like a friend that's knocking at your door and you're, you're letting them in for at least, you know, 10, 15, 20 minutes to have a good, rich conversation, how much more should we be spending intentional time with Jesus himself? And, and it's great if we're, we're going about our day and we're, we're driving on the freeway and we go to the mall and we're like, Jesus is with me always and I'm talking with him and he, he's, he's showing signs. I love that. It's beautiful. It's a part of walking in the spirit. But there's nothing that replaces an intentional time with an individual that is growing in intimacy and, re- and relationship with you. And so there was a bit of a, of a challenge, if you will, within the house to to just examine where you're at in your personal walk and to also help guide you guys into a richer relationship with Jesus himself. As so many times people, people want to have a rich relationship with Jesus. So they're like, I, I wanna know how to pray. I wanna know how to, to read scripture. I wanna know how to go deeper. And, and sometimes we don't know how to be led into the actual activation of that. And so we, we end up trying for a few days and we, we just kind of, something feels kind of dry or we, we don't feel like we're connecting. And so a lot of what I want to teach is, is getting into that rich place and rich relationship with Jesus himself. And some of you have had seasons that have been rich like that. You know that you're drinking from the well. And for whatever reason, you're going through a bit of a, a desert season. And, and there's something within you, and I tell you, that's the Spirit of God within you that is drawing you, wooing you into that rich place again where you can drink deeply. Can I hear an amen in the house for that? Anyone want to drink deeply? I need more hands up. More. There we go. Drink deeply. There it is. There it is. Sometimes I treat you like a youth group. It's okay. You can handle it. There are no no shortcuts for developing intimacy with God. There's no shortcuts. It's gonna grow day by day. We have to give real time and space for that. It takes intentionality to set time aside and give him that real focus. And I, I know you guys were a little, a little spanked by this, 
but you can't say that God's been silent when you've had your Bible closed. You can't say he's not speaking when you haven't even cracked open those crispy pages of scripture, right? First and foremost. And so I think I, I've been hearing from some of you that you've been challenged to just spend that intentional time with God this week. And I think it's much like going to the gym where it's like day one, you're not going to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Day one, you're not going to look like Arnold. Give it a few years and eat the right food. You probably won't, won't look like Arnold, <laughs> but you'll be getting closer, closer. And, but it takes that, like, that daily rhythm to be able to, to see that, that spiritual effort start to pay off in your life. And remember we said that effort is not striving. There, there's time and time again in Scripture that says, run the race. Do you think the martyrs were just kicked back, not, not, not giving any effort? No, they were giving their entire lives for the one that they've come to discover is love. And so there is, there is this confusion that I want to bring a peace and, and a um, kind of like an, an unveiling of what it looks like to actually give forth effort without striving as well. And we discover that in intimacy with God. We spoke last week that Dallas Willard said, grace isn't opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. And so today, I wanna kick us off with a sermon titled, The Invitation for Intimacy. The Invitation for Intimacy. The cross of Jesus is the central position in our lives. The center place. It should never be removed from the central place in our lives. There are several core reasons why, but the one I wanna speak about today is that the cross is the ultimate demonstration of God's love extended to you. It proves the absolute love and value that you have in him, that he has for you. In John 15, Jesus is speaking to, the, to his disciples and he says, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends, and if you do, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. So there's no higher way to reveal that you love another than to freely lay down your life on behalf of that person. This is before, this is before he went to the cross to die. And so he's telling his disciples ahead of time that he's about to demonstrate the ultimate love for his dearest friends. And as we have this setting of Jesus's desire to reveal his love towards us and using that as a backdrop, then we can look at what Paul has to say about God then extending his grace towards us and the nature of God's love towards us. So let's look at Romans 5, verse 6 through 10. While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more 
Now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? I wanna unpack that for just a moment. And what Paul is highlighting in this, in this portion of scripture is the condition of who we were when Christ laid down his life for us. We were without strength, we were totally helpless. We were ungodly. Everything about us was alien to God's nature. We were sinners, we were disobedient rebels, we were enemies actually in opposition to God. And in that condition, in that condition, that is the place that Christ died for us. And that's the measure of God's love for you. Sadly, I encounter a lot of people who consider themselves as followers of Jesus, yet they don't really have a confidence that God loves them. And perhaps you're sitting out there having your own doubts of his love, and you just don't have maybe that tangible expression and knowing and experience of his love for you. And it's really important for believers to come to a place where we have a, a real anchored knowing of God's love for you. And those doubts won't be alleviated till you've understood that condition that you were in when Christ died for you. You could be relying on someone, someone like myself that's assuring you and telling you God loves you. Your friends and your family, God loves you. Don't you know God loves you? But ultimately, he's gotta show you. Your faith has got to become real for you. And he is determined to guide you into a place where you're not dependent on just the words of others for assurance, but that the spirit of God is going to manifest that understanding of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross to unveil his deeper love and affection for you. He is determined to, to bring you into a place where you can take an ownership of that truth and you know that you know that you know. Derek Prince, I love, I love that, that man, that teaching that he brings forward in this is phenomenal. And he says, in times of darkness, you might find yourself wondering what's going on with you. In those times, God will illuminate only one point of reference in that darkness. What will that be? The cross, which is all you need to know in such circumstances. The trouble with many of us is that we know too much. God wants to bring us to a place where it is sufficient for us to simply know that Christ died for us. Isn't that challenging? And I wanna remind you of what we examined for several weeks about Romans 8 and how the culmination of the journey that Paul took us through to that point in Romans 8, the good news of the gospel, and then bringing to a place that there's therefore no condemnation now in you in Christ Jesus. But the, the, the high point, the pinnacle, the climax of that chapter comes when he says that nothing can separate you from the love of God. And I think I drilled that pretty hard into the ground that nothing can separate you from the love of God. It's the climax of the Roman pilgrimage that culminates in this passage. And that climax is the total, inseparable, eternal union with Jesus Christ himself, being completely enveloped in his love forever. And so not only is the cross God demonstrating his love for us, it's also proving our value and worth to him. Our value and our worth to him. 
One of the most common cultural issues that psychologists have noted is the low self-worth that patients deal with. Sadly, this is all too common even in the church. And I want to tell you that if you want to have a selfie, uh, a, a selfie, a healthy self-worth, that's not a healthy self-worth. <laughs> if you want to have a selfie, don't do it while I'm preaching. If you want to have a healthy self-worth, there's really only one way to have a true and lasting basis for knowing your worth. There's only one way to know your worth, and it's in the cross. It seems logical that the value of an item is worth what someone's paying for it. And that's why if you have the exact same house, let's say you get a replica house, and one house is, is four bedrooms, fairly new, and you make a replica, and one replica is in Akron, Ohio, and the other replica is in Bel Air. Which one do you think is worth a little bit more? Not Akron, that's incorrect, Jordan. Shame. The house is exactly the same, but it's worth what someone's willing to pay for it in Bel Air. You can have the exact same house. It's only worth what someone's willing to pay for it. And if you put that same price tag, let's say it was $6 million in Bel Air, and someone in Akron's like, hey, they got $6 million over there. Let's put a $6 million price tag in Akron. It's going to be sitting on the market for a little while. It may never sell at that price. It probably won't sell at that price because it's worth what someone is willing to pay for it. As a human, our value isn't what we analyze it to be. We come with our own ideas of our worth, but the truth is that your value is what God is willing to pay for your life. What you are worth is what God was willing to pay for your life. And the truth is that no matter what kind of labels anyone else has stuck on you, no matter the view that you have of yourself, no matter how attached you are to your own failures and your shortcomings, the price that God paid for you was the life of his own son. And it's the absolute most he could even or ever give for you. There was nothing of greater value. And therefore, your worth, you are sitting here today, and your worth is of greater value than anything else in the universe. Peter writes in 1 Peter 1, 18 through 19, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Without blemish means the original sin was removed. Without spot means our personal sin was removed. So Peter is stressing that our entire redemption is accomplished through only one way, and it's through the blood of Jesus. His perfect divine life was the price that was needed, and it brought us back from the hand of the enemy, and our redemption is only by the blood of Jesus. The emphasis is that his blood poured out is the love of God poured out for you. And every time you hear blood, be thinking about love. It almost sounds the same, doesn't it? Blood, love. It's his love poured out for you. Jesus shares a short parable of a merchant that buys pearls. This merchant is well acquainted with all kinds of pearls. And in this parable... 
I believe that it's revealing what your worth is to him. With parables, sometimes there are several ways that we can interpret it, but I wanted to share with you one perspective that is, that is so powerful. Matthew 13, 45 through 46, let's read that together. Jesus speaking in a parable. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. It almost sounds foolish, doesn't it? If we can for a moment picture Jesus as the merchant, he's very familiar with the price of the pearls. It's his expertise. But he saw one pearl that was so valuable that he sold all that he had to possess that pearl. Picture the merchant coming home to his wife and explaining that he had just paid all that they had for this one pearl. All that they had. Hey, babe, how you doing? How was work today? Oh, pretty good. Hey, why, where's the car? Why are you walking in the door? Why, why, why didn't you park the car in the garage? Oh, yeah, I, I sold it. Sold the car. Oh, okay. Why did you do that? Um, yeah, I, I actually sold the house, too. What? You sold the house? Are we going to have to live in the cabin? Uh, I, I, I sold the cabin, too. The rental property, that's, that's sold. I'm sorry. Yeah, I sold that. Have you lost your mind? Well, I found something so incredibly valuable that it was worth everything. And he opens his hand to reveal a pearl. This is worth everything that we've ever owned. You are the pearl in his hand. One human soul. And did you know or do you know do you really believe that if no one else had been saved in all of history, that Jesus would have died just for you? Me, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just a pearl. I'm just one of many pearls. <laughs> just one among many. But in the eyes of God and in the eyes of a father, he views you and says, you, you are worth it all. And let him speak over you that that's, just, that, that that's just a picture of what you mean to me. I gave everything for you, my son, my daughter. You don't have to ever say again that you're not worth much. You are everything to me. You are so perfect and radiant in my sight. Even if you don't know how valuable you are, I know it. Everything I had was so worth gaining for you, you are the pearl of great price in my hand. And if you can believe this truth and continue to see just how loved and valued you are, it's going to transform your entire life. The world is not meant to define your value. You are worth exactly what God paid for you. Before the garden, Jesus, the Son, and the Father were living in perfect union. The love that they had radiating between them, this unbroken fellowship, was, was unfathomable, how, how powerful and pure and beautiful this love was. But then we see that in, in the brilliant mind of God, he decided to create us, and he created Adam and Eve. 
And that same beautiful union that he had in the Godhead, he extended towards, towards a man and to a woman. And they lived in unbroken fellowship. They lived where Adam and Eve could be naked and there's no shame, there's no condemnation, there's no sin. They could just hear the voice of God and, and walk with him and be in that union with the living God. And, and I think sometimes when we are, are picturing the Garden of Eden, and sometimes as believers, when we are giving a gospel message to other individuals, what is it about giving a gospel message that makes us think that we have to start with sinfulness first? What is that? I just wanna challenge that for a minute. This has become a major emphasis and starting point when we preach the gospel. We give, we give what we've rehearsed, this Romans road, starting in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And, and we're giving this good news message, but we start with how broken and fallen every individual is. I, I love the, the woohooing back there, by the way. That should be where we start. That, that should be where we really start. Because it's supposed to be the good news message. It's common to show people how their sins have separated from God when we're giving that message. But long before that there was a garden and there was this, this triune God existing in perfect, glorious unity, unending love, passion, that was then extended in the garden to a man and to a woman. That is the, the ultimate communion with the Lord that he was after. He was after that connection and that intimacy with those that he made. That fellowship with God and beautiful unity. And because they were without sin, they were able to effortlessly enjoy fellowship with God. There was no shame, no unworthiness that was holding them back. And this was God's original plan for creation, to have this unbroken unity. And so Jesus came not just to get us out of sin, not, not just to get us a, a free pass to heaven, although that is so beautiful and part of the gospel. It's just, where is our emphasis at the right time? Because we have to not just look at the gospel intellectually and, and look at it purely as A plus B equals C. This is supposed to be a love affair of God extended to people. And so are we getting to a place where we're, we're speaking and preaching about the gospel in the place of a love affair with our God? and a love affair that is extended to you and wooing you into that redeemed, restored intimacy and relationship with him. The gospel doesn't begin with our sinful separation. It begins with God's intense love and desire to be passionately intimate and fellowship with us. If we desire engagement with the Lord, this is foundational and integral in our beliefs to know why Jesus came and died. Not just that he did. A lot of you have grown up in settings where you know Jesus came to die for these reasons. We were sinners. The cross is the bridge to heaven. It is. These, these are elementary, beautiful teachings. But have we forfeited the beauty of the love affair of God with his people? He wasn't only trying to save us from sin and death and the grip of the enemy. He desires us in union with him in a rich fellowship with him. His goal was union with us. To have, have to understand this, for us to understand this is the power of the gospel to be released in our lives. And we come to this understanding of his love demonstrated at the cross 
And as we do this, our hearts expand with a deeper love and passion as we learn his love all the more. This is the the place that draws us in and moves us to beauty. If we wanna grow in friendship and intimacy with Jesus, there are certain inner postures that guide us into places of intimacy. And one of the greatest foundational truths is that God wants to be with you. Some of you just need to hear that today. God desires to be with you. God desires to talk with you. I would propose that God is always speaking. And and I've wrestled through that. Is he always speaking? Because sometimes it feels like he's silent. Go outside and look at the ocean. Go outside and look at the mountains. He's still speaking. Open up the word. He's still speaking. God is always speaking. And so he is longing for us to be tuning in to what his voice is saying and where it's leading. One of the greatest foundational truths is that God wants to be with you. Intimacy was his idea. And our craving for intimacy is only awakened as we understand that he desires to be with us. He longs to speak with us. He longs to meet with us. His love for you is an invitation. He's safe, he's faithful, and he's madly in love with you. And so as as I'm teaching about intimacy, this is a core foundational part of our walk with God. That if you are approaching him like he is stone cold and distant, that he's, he's this big force that doesn't actually wanna engage with you in intimacy, that's how your belief system is going to relate to the living God. But if you know that he's after you, that he loves you, that he likes you, that he loves your quirky thinking, that he loves the way that you doodle, that he loves like the way that you think about life and dwell upon things, he wants to be so intimate with every every aspect and area of your life, every dream, every hope, every unfulfilled hope, he wants to be there in and with it for you and with you. He is, he is our dad, he is our friend, and we get to hold in tension the beauty of that intimate friendship and calling him Abba and also looking at him as a God where we give him all reverence and honor and glory. And so there's this beautiful both and in our relationship with God and with him in intimacy. Because sometimes God shows up and you're like, Dad, I'm falling on my face because the holiness of the Lord is in the room and I don't want to die. (laughs) You know, sometimes that, that is a reality that his power and his awe comes in such a way. And there's moments that that still small voice is what's drawing us in and, and, and wooing us into that rich place. But you're always safe in him and with him. Uh, Louisa, would you mind playing for a moment? I just want to end end with something that has just been ringing on my in my heart the past day or so. Um, a lot of you know that my parents have a house church in Pasadena. They meet on Friday nights, and. Um, There's something about like talking about the love of God 
and talking about intimacy and compassion, but then sometimes you just get wrecked by an actual demonstration of it. And um, just heads up, I'm probably gonna burst out in tears. <laughs> um, I don't know, it, it just really hit me and I've just been sitting in it with the Lord a bit, but you know, it's a house church. They're, they're meeting and gathering together and my mom had a, a sermon planned. They had, they had a couple songs, but um, in walked a guy that's been there a couple times and he just opens up about um, how he is saying goodbye because he wants to take his life. And of course, I say of course, my, my mom and dad stopped everything and for the rest of the evening, this whole group of people just ministered over this guy who had no hope. You know, he's in financially in over his head. Um, his family has disowned him. Um, he's just had a difficult time in relationships. Um, he is a believer, but new. And um, I, I, was just, I was just rattled with this whole thing of like, doing ministry and how sometimes we're like, hey, thanks for sharing. Let's, let's get to that later. You know, we got a program we got to continue on with. Um, you know, sometimes there's just these difficult people that we have to deal with and something about it is just really wrecking me. And this morning I was just before the Lord and, uh, I was like, that's such a demonstration of the love of God where you stop everything. And you're like, I could care less about my sermon. I could care less about how uncomfortable people are in the room right now. The love of God is after this pearl of great price right now. And he wants to hold this individual in his hand. And we're going to pour out the love of God the best we know how to this individual in this moment and it's not about the agenda. It's not about keeping, you know, ending by 9 p.m. or whatever it is. It's like you're, you're moved by the heart of the Father. And it's like, of course, of course, I'm going to extend that same love to this individual. And, I, and there's, there's something about my, maybe this is my own repentance because, um, my, my mom is kind of notorious for like texting people back at like 3 a.m. when they're going through their stuff. And I'm like, mom, boundaries, <laughs> boundaries. She fiercely, fiercely loves people. My whole life, she would counsel people for free at our house, like hours and hours and hours and hours, you know? And she, she I, I, I watched, you know, people say that sheep bite, sheep bite back a lot of biting would happen from broken people because she was dealing with people that were in a hospital. And, and so growing up, I would see that and I'd want to protect my mom. You know, like, hey, boundaries. Like, this person, you've done enough. Like, maybe they, they need to take their own responsibility now. And listen, there's a place for that too. I know this is not perfect, by the way. Um, but there's something to stopping for an individual and loving with such a radical 
love and impact and caring less about what anyone else thinks and just targeting them with the same love that Jesus poured out on the cross. And I think there's a lesson there for me, for us, of uh, absolute undone humility where it's not about numbers and it's not about success. Like, what is success? Success to the Lord is stopping for someone that's about to end their life and holding them close and saying, I love you. I love you. God loves you. I know you don't get it yet. That's success in the kingdom of God. Where have we gotten off track with what any other kind of success looks like in our lives? It's not about numbers. It's not about notches in our belt. It's not about anything else except the assignment of the Lord to give that radical love and invitation to the person in front of us. And so I just think that we needed a reminder of that as well today, that as, as there's an invitation for intimacy, that we also get to extend that same invitation of intimacy through our lives and through our interactions and stopping for the one that is right in front of us, that God is saying, be my love to them today. Be my love for them today. So would you guys go ahead and stand up with me? You know, we've been talking about unity. Why don't we go ahead and grab the hand of the person next to us? Holy Spirit, even right now, would you come into a place where you illuminate our hearts with that drawing of intimacy into those places with you, God? We want to, we've been singing it out, like, I just want you. I, I want to know you. I will pursue you. We're singing about, oh, the cross and your, your love poured out for us and, and how we're, we're thanking you for your your, your blood and for your body. This is love. This is intimacy. And some of us have heard this story a million times and have grown numb to it. And we've grown um, just accustomed to the motions. But we, not, we, we ask, we ask right now, Holy Spirit, that you would bring a, a fresh depth and revelation and movement within us to draw us into deeper friendship and deeper intimacy with you, that we would know that you are safe, that you are faithful, that you are, are one that is, is for us and with us and where we don't have to, to um, ever question your love for us and the worth that we have in you. And so I even speak right now for any, any spirit that's trying to rob individuals of 
of self-worth and condemnation and self-hatred. In Jesus' name, we expel that from your life as we've been speaking the word of God of truth, that you are wanted, that he desires you, that you are his. And so as blood-bought sons and daughters, we expel every other force of the enemy that is trying to rob you right now that is trying to rob you of your identity, that's trying to rob you of how loved you really are, any blockage or barricade that you've put up, just come under the authority of Jesus and be removed in his mighty name. And we speak right now a wind of the spirit to rush through this place and bring freedom in our lives where we are lacking intimacy and friendship with Jesus, that there would be a fresh movement in our lives to the secret place, to the place of intimacy, to the place of being drawn in and to receive from God himself. Take us back to the garden, God. Take us back to the garden where we can live and breathe and move and, and have that, that unity and fellowship with you. That is the purpose of the cross. Union once again with his sons and daughters. Union once again with his sons and daughters. And so I pray, God, illuminate that, make it real and tangible in our lives. I pray those areas that have been barricaded, that your perfect shalom peace would come and rest upon us and move through us. That the righteousness of God would be known and expressed in every individual. And by the power of Jesus, that you would be shifted right now into a place of your best shifted into the place where you know that you are in the spirit in jesus oh show And God, I just want to add that the places that, that break your heart with compassion would also move and break ours. Where there's individuals that we've somehow like numbed in any kind of way, maybe because it feels too much or whatever it is, wherever we've grown numb or tired or checked out in any kind of way, God, bring fresh passion, bring that, that same compassion of Jesus and make it alive within us. Let us be those that are radical with the compassion of Jesus. And let us be willing to, to, to admit when, when we've gotten off track and when we've made anything else what it is besides what is valuable to you in your kingdom. And so here we are, God. Continue to breathe your life upon this house, this body, this, this people, that we can be Jesus to the world around us. It's in your mighty name we pray. Somebody say amen.